I've also said to my teams on several occasions, like, I want to work in a company where I want to work. I said, I want to create an environment that I personally want to show up to every day. And I want to make it comfortable. I want to make it fun. I want to make it creative. I don't want it to be boring. And it should not be so onerous that I feel like I'm going to have a heart attack on Monday morning. From Caribbean Ideas in Trinidad and Tobago, this is Uptick, a part of the Caribbean Innovation Content Network. Uptick is a show that brings you the stories of Caribbean entrepreneurs and corporate innovators that are building the next generation of great companies. These are the stories you don't typically hear of how these leaders are working to build brands and businesses that can not only impact the Caribbean world, but also have an impact on the global business stage. Their stories will move you, inspire you, push you to take action, and perhaps spark your next big idea. I'm your host, Chike Farrell. Barack Obama had a best-selling book called The Audacity of Hope. And somehow, while not exactly the same thing, when I think of this episode's guest, audacity is a word that comes to mind. On the podcast, often we've explored the stories of entrepreneurs. But this season, we've widened the scope because innovation takes many forms. And there are many Caribbean businesses that have been established for quite some time, but they're also on a path of innovation and transformation. And within these businesses are usually leaders at multiple levels who are pushing a change and transformation agenda that in their own unique ways are also going to help shape a new Caribbean business reality. And I want you to hear these stories too. Jane White is CEO of Boss Trinidad. And I wouldn't say that she's a rarity simply because she's a young female CEO, but I would say that she's a rarity in that she got to her leadership position after starting out in the human resources field. And while that by itself could be pretty unique, what I was most struck by was her combination of confidence, gumption, and just a willingness to break established conventions and norms. Not only to get to where she's gotten to, but most importantly, to take on shifting a work culture to embrace the power and potential of people first. At the end of the day, Caribbean competitiveness on a global stage is going to be led by people. People who understand what they're capable of, and who benefit from leaders who give them the opportunities to achieve all that they're capable of. You see, today's guest is exactly that type of leader. She pushes the envelope, holds herself and people around her to incredibly high standards, all while maintaining a huge focus on balance as a foundational part of her leadership philosophy. On today's episode of Uptick, I invite you to learn more from the story of Jane White, CEO of Boss Trinidad and Tobago. Now, before we jump in, I want to recognize the sponsor for today's episode, Guardian Life of the Caribbean. They have a solution to a need that many organizations have, which is called key man insurance. When you think about it as an entrepreneur or someone who's driving a fast growing business, really the foundation of your success is your people. Your great people become an invaluable resource to the business and they really push your organization forward. Now, without these key people, your business might still exist, sure, but it most likely will not be as innovative and as hard charging and forward thinking as before. And you see, if this happens, particularly in unexpected circumstances where critical illness or death occurs, then Guardian Life of the Caribbean has introduced Keyman Insurance as a solution to this need. You see, Keyman Insurance is a policy that a business can take out to insure their most valuable employees. You can think of it as life and critical illness cover for those who are really crucial to your company's success. And that could be the CEO, that could be your top sales guy or gal, this could be someone with a really specialist skill set. And if any of these people were to, God forbid, suddenly die or fall ill, a Keyman Insurance policy can protect your business against some of the financial repercussions. It pays out a lump sum directly to the business, and this can be used to cover the cost of any profit losses, replacement staff, 
or other scenarios that you will kind of find yourself jumping into. So it can really help keep you afloat during a really difficult time. And for some organizations, this could be the difference between your survival or closure. It perhaps is even more important to look at investing in key man cover when you're relatively small or a new company or when you're in the midst of a growth trust that's really uh, driven by a particular person or persons. Because this can be when you're most reliant on your staff and losing a key member could really be the difference between failure or success. And you might also find that in some cases, your bank might ask you to have key man insurance if you're applying for a loan. So this really addresses an important need. So I want you to check it out, key man insurance from Guardian Life at www.myguardiangroup.com. Now, let's jump into the show. All right. Well, uh, this is Chike Farrell um, here on another episode of the Uptick Caribbean podcast. I'm very, very excited for the conversation today with Jane White, um, who has done many, many interesting things, which we will talk about, but is currently the CEO at Boss Trinidad. So Jane, welcome. It's an amazing pleasure to have you. Hi, I'm so grateful to be here. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun conversation. So you know, I always like to start off with with the backstory. So so since this is featuring people from all around the Caribbean, tell tell folks where you're from, country, you know, town. Where where did you where did you grow up? So I grew up in Trinidad, um, in Saint Joseph, which is in the Northern Range. So I grew up with walking out my door and seeing a mountain. So I'm accustomed to seeing lots of greenery. I went to school up there, you know, and gradually moved down into Port of Spain. So I love my country. I've chosen to stay. And yeah, so I started here. Nice, lovely. Well, you know, you have a really interesting um, sort of path to, to to the CEO position now, and we're gonna we're gonna get into that. So maybe walk us through, you know, um, you know, where, where did you go to school? What did you study? You know, how did you end up, you know, um, ultimately on this path? Let's, let's hear a little bit about the the backstory. So I was a very average student um, in Saint Joseph Convent in Saint Joseph, getting C's. All my report cards pretty much said, you know, Jane is a helpful child, but needs a little bit more focus and attention, especially on math, if she would just apply herself. So I got, I was one of those, apply yourself, apply yourself. So I um, barely made it out of high school. Um, and my provisional grades, you know, were just slipping over the years. Um, but I still maintained somewhere between like a C and a B minus, doing fairly decent. And, you know, around the time of everybody was applying to universities, my cousin was like, aren't you going to apply? And I'm like, um, no, I don't think so. And she's like, let's apply. I'll do it for you. I'm going to Canada. So that's where you could go. And I'm like, OK, tell me more. And she's like, well, I'm going to either Queens or McMaster or Guelph. I was like, OK, tell me more. And she's like, well, what do you like to do? I was like, I like to lime. I like people. And she's like, well, I think Guelph has this hotel and food administration program and, you know, sorting it through, went to my school, asked for, you know, the grades, the provisional grades to send it. They, for some reason, I have no idea why, gave me A's and B's. And I was like, okay, this is, this is not a I was like, okay, great. Thanks. Submitted it, got into Guelph in the hotel and food administration section went first week and they were like this is about hard nights weekends airbnbs late hours owning your own restaurant and i was like i don't want to do that and so i was like what else is there <laughs> what else is there available to me because it was a bachelor of commerce degree so you had all these majors that you could choose 
and talking to somebody told me about HR and I was like, what is HR? And they're like, well, uh, you deal with people and it has a lot to do with psychology in a business. I was like, so it's in a business and it's for people. I was like, okay, great. I don't have to do chemistry, which is the course that I was in at the point in time for the hotel side and just went from first semester into second semester, switched out into HR and just really liked it uh, ever since. And, uh, you know, graduating, getting into the real world and just trying to get a job was really difficult. And uh, but I made my way through it and landed up into HR. And, uh, you know, there's lots of little stories along the way that I could go into. But I think at the end of the day, I was frustrated with the limitations that HR professionals had because they were not the ultimate decision maker. And um, that drive is, I think, and that frustration is what led me to be like, I want to be the CEO. This, this HR is not working for me. I want to make the decisions. So a real uh, fast forward way of saying like how I got here. Yeah. Well, well, you know, I think what's, what's really um, interesting about that, first of all, your, um, your friend or your colleague way back in the day who, who gave you a really tight pitch on, on, on the, on the good side of HR, the psychology, and you're going to get to deal with people. And, you know, so they give you a nice little um, <laughs> sizzle pitch, you know, they, they might've left out some of the, some of the other challenging parts of, of, you know, being great at HR. So, so, so they either did you a favor or they, or they, uh, or they weren't a good friend. Yeah, we, I guess you could decide, you know, um, uh, kind of looking back. But it's really interesting, you know, what you mentioned, right? Because a lot of the times um, when you when you lead certain functions, and I would kind of um, appreciate this from from the marketing function or certain other functions, as you said, you know, that's not necessarily in all cases the function that then ends up, you know making the final making the final decision and you and you spoke to that so i wanted to to kind of drive in there right like what were some of the things or the opportunities that you were seeing from your lens in terms of you know i know you you worked with one of the large regional banks Scotia bank and you're you know on the, on the performance and learning side and so on what were some of the opportunities that you were seeing from that side but you also felt like there was more that could be done um tell us a little bit more about that so from an HR perspective, you get to see people's strengths and weaknesses and understand when compared to their KPIs, what they're doing, what they're not doing, what they're hitting, what they're not hitting and the gaps. So very quickly from an HR perspective, you can kind of understand what needs to be done to elevate them. And often it is torturous. It is conversation, documentation, pep talks, motivation, coaching. It is work to be a leader takes work and people do not want to put in the effort to earn the right to delegate. They want these perfect employees who do what they're supposed to do to the nth degree. And when they don't put in the effort, they get frustrated and then they come to HR and I want to fire this person or I need a new person or I need two new people. But it's rarely because they're not dealing with it properly. And so sometimes in HR, we are told um, to help with these bogus things. Like, for example, the manager is weak. The team is frustrated. Um, people aren't doing their jobs. And some people are. And the workload is shifting to the people who are doing their jobs well. But they want HR to do a team building session. 
So HR, you come in and organize building up a foundation with matchsticks and uh, straws and do that. It's like, hi, that's not going to work. The manager sucks and some employees are getting away with murder. You need to deal with the issues. No, no, Jane, they need a team building session. So that's what I want you to do. Facilitate a team building session. And a lot of the times I just want to say, no, it's a waste of my time and theirs. But of course, I'm not the boss. So I got to do a team building session. And it's like, it's frustrating because you see the waste of energy and spaces. You see the plasters that people want to put over situations. And you see the poor decisions that leaders make that if I was the ultimate boss, I could say, no, guys, we're going to do this the hard way. We're going to coach. We're going to mentor. We're going to give the time. And then we'll discipline accordingly if the errors cannot be improved because the person is unwilling to change. Like, I wanted to be able to say that. You know, I didn't want to do training sessions that did not make sense. I, I did and have done so many so many training sessions or coaching sessions that actually don't fix the problem and that's a waste of time no you're you're right a, a lot of the time you know you classic sort of like um you know band-aid on the wound and that's not really going to get to the real thing that's not going to solve kind of the fundamental problem so so that's really fascinating and we're going to come back to um to to making that transition so so from from you know the recognition that you just sort of described to the desire to have that impact to actually getting to have the opportunity to do it is often easier said than done. So when you talk a little bit about, you know, your journey from when you sort of, okay, this is what I want to do. You know, how did you go about sort of making it come to life? So uh, going from HR to CEO is, is not an easy transition. Not a lot of people have done it. People have done it, but it's not a lot. Um, and I just think that there's, there's multiple reasons why that has happened. Um, and sometimes it's people that don't feel confident in themselves. So there may be some HR professionals or people in marketing or accounts, you know, finance, whatever, that just don't feel like they have the confidence. Um, for some reason, I guess it's because of my parents, I feel like I can do anything. So confidence wasn't an issue for me. So knowing that in the organization that I was at, um, I had to do a succession plan because that's part of what HR is supposed to make sure to do. I realized that looking around that the successes for the two CEOs in the both boss and the script J side, um, when I stack them up to myself, I'm like, I could do that. And I was like, I've always wanted to be a CEO, you know, uh, or not always, but in the last, the latter part of my um, career. Um, and then I was like, okay, so succession plan. I'm just going to do my own succession plan as if I was already chosen, you know. So I decided to do my own training plan and just fit myself into the business to give myself the edge that when we were in the con conversation, the true conversation of planning for the successor, I would already be ahead of things. So. I would have gone to the CEOs and said, hey, I know you're really busy. You want me to lead the management team meeting today? Um, and they're like, oh, oh, yeah, sure. Actually, I have to go out and see a customer. No problem. And then I would just show up and be like, hey, morning, guys. So I'm going to hold on for Kevin. And we're just going to run through the beginning of the day. How is everybody doing? You know, and just I would just lead meetings. Um, the production manager was out. I would just be like, OK, afternoon. How's everybody? I just want to start this update, you know. Um, and people were a little thrown off 
but because I have a facilitation and HR background, it was kind of like, it's, it's okay. We don't know what's happening necessarily, but she can still run a meeting. So it's, it's okay. And I would have just gone into all the areas of the business that I did not understand um, as well and just led meetings, asked questions, interviewed people, upgraded KPIs, which were part of my description. I would have prioritized all those things that allowed me to understand the business um, holistically. Now, that was dual focus. One, the succession planning dreams of being you know, a CEO, but also to understand the business as an HR professional. That is a necessary thing that needs to happen, which so often isn't done. So it had twofold. No matter what the outcome was, I would learn the business better. So that when time came to properly, like, okay, I was like talking to the owner, we need to put a succession plan in place. This was like a year and a half into my job. And I had done all of this before. And I said, you know, I would also like to nominate myself. And he was just like, why would we choose you? And I was like, well, we could wait for an interview for that. But I don't know if you've realized, but I've led production meetings. I've been on the website update committee. I've been doing the management meetings. I'm the one who's actually developed and run and helping execute the strategic plan for the whole organization. So why not me? And they were just like, him and the owner and the current CEO at the time was like, but you make a fair point. Okay, okay, let's, okay. <laughs> you know, and that's just what I did. So I, lo I love that. So, so I'm going to go back then. Let's go back to the beginning because you mentioned that, you know, and, and it's one of the things that I'm always interested in is, you know, what were some of the influences? And so I think one of the things that I heard you say was that, you know, your parents really helped instill a lot of self-confidence in you, which is really important to be able to, to take control of, you know, your career or anyone for, to, to take control of something. So, so talk a little bit about those early influences. So did you have, um, you know, beside them, I wanted to talk about them, but also any other influences that sort of you, sort of you, you look back and you're like, yeah, you know what, this person, that person kind of contributed to me going down this path. You know, as I said, my parents always told me whatever I wanted to do, I could do, you know, and they didn't help tell me what to do which was almost the annoying part as you know as you know with caribbean parents be a doctor be a lawyer be a whatever you know those are easy paths my parents were like whatever you want to do and that used to frustrate me they're like you can do whatever you want to do and i was like okay and my dad was a pilot my mom was a secretary stay-at-home mom for most of my um my time my earlier years and my great-grandfather was actually Sir Gerald White, who actually helped start um, the Caribbean Development Company that then went on to start Car Brewery. And he was like a World War I veteran, um, very uh, entrenched in the business community in Trinidad. And I always kind of felt like it would have been cool to know him. It would have been cool if he didn't move on. I could have been like a Carib heiress, you know? And, you know, I always thought that it was within me and my, you know, lineage or whatever to, to do more. And knowing that my father was a pilot, there was no business, you know, and a couple of my friends, parents um, or fathers had businesses. And I always felt like it would be so nice if I could grow up in a family business, but never had one. So I always kind of wondered what things would have been like, um, you know, if I knew my great-grandfather, if he was still around, you know, if my dad took over that kind of in his footsteps and not become a pilot. So it was a kind of what if versus having an actual influence 
so that's that's kind of where i've taken some of my inspiration from yeah no it's it's it's, it's really you know cool as you mentioned that because i think one of the things is i've kind of gone through this journey of talking with um you know caribbean leaders and entrepreneurs and innovators is you know is we all have different starting points um you know in terms of what what helps us on our path who influences us on our path and and what and what we take but but you know you then you also have some sort of commonalities and so it's interesting that you kind of mentioned that right because i think that's actually a big one right the the impetus to just go and learn and figure things out and and not be afraid of trying new things is usually a pretty kind of consistent you know consistent thing so now you are um you know you're running boss trinidad and, and maybe just explain what boss trinidad is for those who are from you know other places or aren't aren't as familiar so boss is a leaders leading distributor of office supplies and furniture and thermal rolls so, you know, all the things that you take off links, machines or ABM, <laughs> ABM receipts or ATM receipts. Um, and so we actually distribute um, all over the Caribbean. So to, to almost 10, 10, 11 islands. And we distribute all over Trinidad and Tobago. So we do next day delivery, which is something really great. So when people are screaming, oh, my God, my printer's down, I ran out of ink. You know, sometimes they order at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And if they're on the first route um, in the morning, they get it by nine o'clock the next day. That's great. So, you know, we're doing this now in um, in, you know, start of 2021 after literally a year um, in the pandemic. How how have you evolved operations um sort of in this time because you, you you have an e-commerce presence you you do delivery you do a lot of things so what what uh what has kind of continued you know as it was and what have you changed over the last you know six to six to twelve months you know a lot of people speak about all these radical changes that they've done you know during the pandemic and um, how they've had to reinvent themselves and you know, all these great things. I'm not saying that there's stuff that didn't feel like that, but we just communicated even more. A lot of, uh, and, and a lot of our business is physically packing stationery, physically driving to locations to drop off stationery. Um, so a, a large section of our warehouse and delivery team had to physically be there. And obviously some supervisory staff, you need to be there. Um, a lot of the leaders could have worked from home from before, so that didn't change necessarily. But what we found is to support those who were there, we had some leaders going into the office, sometimes more frequently. Our salespeople would have ramped up like everybody on Zoom, uh, tried to touch base with the customers a little bit more. Um, but it was just, it was a natural continuation of what we had done before. Uh, it definitely did highlight like gaps in terms of how much we do video communication because when we were working from home or, you know, even if we were in different parts of the building or in different um, offices, we wouldn't video chat. And now, for whatever reason, we're just always video chatting. I want to see your face. I want to see how you're feeling or how you're looking, you know. And um, yeah, I, I think the, the pandemic brought my team closer at Boss and I felt that because we were so uncertain about so many things, we, we felt that the only thing that we can control is understanding where we all were, you know, at that point in time. 
and I felt like I spoke to my team more than I did before. What's interesting about that, and I, I remember last year doing, a, you know, getting asked to do a talk and and talking about sort of like leading through leading through crisis, and 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 I remember, you know, on that panel, um, a lot of the dialogue was about. Uh, you know, being more vulnerable, listening more, and communicating more. So it's really interesting that you that you mentioned that. Would you say that you already, you know, as an organization, had a framework for 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 communication in that way, or was it something that you had to bring in and work on, sort of as a result of what was happening? I think from myself and my immediate leadership team, we had already built that framework, and it just got better. Um, what I hadn't anticipated is that in some instances, the leaders didn't carry that forward to the next level. So we did some surveys afterwards, um, checking to see a pulse, like how did the leadership team handle the crisis? How do you feel about the organization? And some people felt like their leaders didn't care as much. You know, they could have reached out more. Um, so I guess a gap from, from my side of things would be to realize I was doing so much for my team. Um, and not really asking or checking in with, you know, how they were carrying it forward and doing the same thing with their teams. I mean, some people were accustomed and then some people weren't. Um, so it was just making sure that my level of connection with the leadership team carried throughout the organization. As I said, there were some pockets of teams um, that were doing exceptionally well and then some others that felt disconnected. Yeah. So one of the things that's... Um you know, a focus in, in this sort of second season of Uptake. We kind of thematically uh, are interested in exploring, you know, aspects of, you know, pivoting and evolution, aspects of perseverance and aspects of purpose. So I want you to talk a little bit about mission and, and maybe let's do it from two angles. One is, you know, one is sort of personal mission to the extent that there's, you know, some kind of core motivation that drives how you try to navigate your career. Um, and then from the business side, I think it's always interesting in, you know, larger organizations, how leaders try to to coalesce the people around a larger mission as well. So we'd love you to kind of explore both of those themes from your perspective. Yeah, um, so for me in particular, um, my goal is to help elevate each person that I touch, you know? Um, and whenever I say that, people are like, touch, Jane. I was like, I don't mean it like that, you know? Um, I want people, <laughs> I want people to leave um, knowing me for the better. I want to create an environment, personal and professional, where people are better off for having spent time within the organizations or um, environments that I create. You know, because I do believe we have so much talent in the Caribbean and because of external or emotional factors, um, people do not live up to their potential. You know, there's a lot of heaviness, there's a lot of mistrust, there's a lot of breakdown of family values. And I feel like if I can help somebody uh, achieve their greater goals, that would make me feel better. You know, I, I don't have kids and I don't want, um, you know, who knows what the world will have for me at the end of the day, but I definitely do not want kids. I'm just saying that I actually have wood in front of me. Um, <laughs> But I, I just want so much for people of this country, of this region, of the world. And so for me, um, making, and I know this sounds really Miss Universe, but I want to make the world a better place. Like, I genuinely do. That's great. You know, it, it kind of has to, it has to start with, with someone or some people anyway. So that's, so that's, that's, that's really powerful that you kind of, 
internalize that that idea of you know yeah how how is this interaction or this thing that I'm doing helping to you know elevate this person and give them a give them, how, how did you kind of come to that did that was that just sort of an organic thing or have you sort of felt that for 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 a long time I think I felt that for a long time and I do believe that there's a lot that can be done for people who are considered broken or damaged or challenged and I feel like there's so many limiting beliefs out there um, about mental health issues, especially in the Caribbean. Um, and I felt very passionate about that all throughout my life. You know, I myself, another story, but struggled with anxiety and depression, which a lot of people don't speak about. And I just feel that creating a culture and a space wherever you go to make people feel comfortable to grow is, is going to help our world society and by extension you know everybody having a better opportunity to create more for our human race i mean to be dramatic yeah yeah no 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 that's that that's 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 true but you're i think you're i think you're absolutely right so then how, how does that then translate and then how have you maybe in some ways connected your sort of personal mission to your to your company mission and and try to communicate that across you know, across your, your, your employee base. So I've also said to my teams on several occasions, like, I want to work in a company where I want to work. I said, I want to create an environment that I personally want to show up to every day. And I want to make it comfortable. I want to make it fun. I want to make it creative. I don't want it to be boring. And it should not be so onerous that I feel like I'm going to have a heart attack on Monday morning. So... I've continuously said, you know, guys, if we all do what we are supposed to do, if we, you know, do our jobs to the best of our abilities, if we think smart, if we give ideas, find ways of creating efficiencies, the job doesn't have to be so difficult. It doesn't have to feel so hard. And I want to create an environment where if you want work-life balance, you can have that. If you don't want to be stressed out of your job and you want to spend most of your time as you come home, leave the daughter four and you're out of there because you have a family life, fine, so be it. But give the eight hours and the time and the energy when you're here. And then for the ones who want to be creative and do more, I'm like, take on more. Let's do great things because the more that we can do together, the more profitable the organization can be and the more we can reinvest into the organization. I said, you know, I would love, and I mean, many people say this, to be that kind of next Google type environment. I want a fruit lady who goes, hey, Jane, you want a banana today? And I'm like, oh, Shirley, throw me a banana. Right now, I don't have money for a banana lady. But, you know, I'm, and this is what I'm telling the team. Like, don't you want to work for an organization that has the resources to do things that make you feel like this place ain't so bad? You know, let's do that. So it's by trying to create that type of um, expectation, but also letting them know in order to be this company, we have to be profitable. This is not a non-profit. Nobody is supporting us. We need to make our own money. We are in business to make a profit and to have fun and to sustain our lives. So it's a cycle. So if you don't help me make money, I can't reinvest into the business and we're all living a shittier life. I was like, don't you want nice things? And so I would have these conversations with staff, you know, and um, it, it is all about creating a efficient, profitable uh, organization that you can have work-life balance, you know, and um, I've heard quite a few Caribbean leaders say this as well, but I would love, and I do want us to be like the Amazon of the Caribbean. We are starting to be there. We sell to many people who then resell our stuff 
and sent towards all over the Caribbean as well. So I think that there's so much growth for Boss and Scripty, which I've now taken over as well from the printing side. And I can talk more about that. But at the end of the day, it's an environment where somebody can work and feel proud of, you know? Yeah, of, of course. And I want you to kind of go a little bit further than around kind of like creating creating that change. Because, you know, Uptick is really about Caribbean innovators and, and you know, innovators come in, in multiple, you know, multiple, you know, form factors, I guess, if you will, and sort of small companies trying to, to get bigger, bigger companies that are more established that are trying to get, you know, even bigger or do different things and go into other areas. And what I hear kind of consistent in, in some of what you've discussed is, is is sort of creating change um and you took on a leadership role in an organization that already existed already had success already had a brand um but you're kind of trying to take it to another level so so what is what is that you know sort of change management sort of experience been like what has worked what has not worked as you've gone through that process so creating something from scratch is difficult Creating something and changing something that already existed is equally as difficult, you know? And I mean, Boss has been around now for 27 years, Script G, 41. So you were talking established businesses, um, structures, cultures, you know? Um, and me coming in, when I speak, I'm talking about we have to love and support and have purpose. And people are looking at me like, is she kidding me? I just come here, Jane, to do my eight hours. And what you're trying to bring to me is is too much, you know? And, and in some cases, they would have said, you know, I disagree. You only baby any people, Jane. Why are you always giving them everything that they want? And, you know, lots of back and forth. And, um, you know, the, the core, what I did is met with the leadership team and assessed who fit, who fit the culture, you know, get the right people on the bus. And in Trinidad, in the Caribbean, it is difficult to get rid of people. But I think you can convince somebody that they're in the wrong environment, you know? So I've set the tone for the expectations that I want. I want a caring organization. I want people to understand work-life balance. I want people to understand that, yes, deadlines are important, but it's the how you say things that matter. It's, um, it's important to me so that when... Um, people complained through the process, you know, because once I took over the role at CU and I started to share the news of my way of doing things, people started to bring complaints and, um, you know, victimization stories and um, leaders who were doing, in my, my terms, the wrong thing and talking down to them. And I felt the same way about how you speak to your employees and team members as I do stealing. Like, you cannot be a rude person and curse and shout at your subordinates, you know, your subordinates. They're my subordinates. I've literally left my office because I heard a manager screaming at an employee, like, got out of my chair, stormed downstairs and said, what are you doing? And the employee is going, I don't know. I don't know. And then the manager was like, they're not understanding. I was like, could you come with me over here? And walk them out of the situation and sat them down. I said, I will not stand for disrespect to my employees because at the end of the day, I'm setting the tone. And if you have an issue with what I'm asking you to do, you can leave. There are multiple exits. I said, there's one right behind you. 
So you figure out what you want to do, but this is my style. And it's sometimes when I speak like that, I feel like a dictator, but I feel like I'm on the good train. So I'm trying to get everyone to be on a good train and I have to be ruthless about the culture that I'm trying to create because if you are trying to tear it down, you are not part of the change. And it's very difficult to do the things that are contrary to the supportive, caring uh, culture, which does not exclude accountability because you can have love and accountability. At the end of the day, it's not like, oh, yes, Jane, you could do whatever you want, come in late, leave early, not do your work. No, it's not that. And that's where people get it twisted. It's, it's just a balance because you don't have to be that, you know, horrible boss that people leave, you know, an organization for. And um, I fell out with leaders um, several times and, you know, I tried to convince them to do the right things. And, you know, I give everybody an opportunity to join my way of thinking. And then when it comes down to it, I'll say, you have to apologize. And if that's what you want, yes, that's what I want. You now have to go and apologize. And that's what I've said. So then it's in coordination from, you know, them to me if they refuse to apologize to their employees. So I take a hard stance on it. Yeah, well, that's great. That's great that you've, you know, kind of really harnessed that that consistency because because you're right. You know, there are some some challenges that I think for any leader in in any any context, any country, anywhere in the world, but in, in the Caribbean, sometimes, as you said, you know, we we have to we have to to try to help um, you know people unlearn some bad habits sometimes that that you know have, you know haven't haven't had opportunities to 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 get certain experiences and so on and and so I could imagine as you said kind of you kind of coming in with it yeah you know what no here here's what matters we got to care we got to you know we got to communicate we have to to show a certain type of respect and be like no I I, I don't want this so so it sounds like you really then embraced you know repetition and sort of saying it over and over again and then kind of like trying to to live it as well and and keep the people on the bus who who buy in and you know and and at least kind of letting people understand very clearly if this might not be the right bus for them and you know i want to give another shout out to guardian life of the caribbean our sponsor for today's episode and talk a little bit about another solution that they provide which is really their pension solution which is a really interesting thing because I've actually had more employees recently start coming and asking about what the company can do for them in terms of, you know, helping them to advance their retirement and other goals. And pensions can be a way that as an employer, you can kind of help to, you know, set up your employee's future or the next stage of their life after they leave your company. Um, or if, you know, something should befall them that, you know, requires a benefit to be paid to their dependents. Again, like I said before, employees are really the most valuable asset of any business. Um, and so Guardian Life is really partnering with companies to help them set their employees up with real powerful financial planning for the future, including pension plans that can help employees and their dependents after retirement or in the case of an untimely death. Of course, pensions have existed for a long time and, you know, they've been really uh, proven to be pretty useful financially for a lot of people. Um, now, they can be actually 
unregistered or registered. And they can have a number of different advantages where, for example, if people reach retirement age, they will, you know, generally experience a reduction in income. So a pension can make up for some of this loss of income in retirement. So it kind of has an income protection value. They can also provide, as I mentioned before, protection in the form of lump sum payments and uh, payments to dependents in the event of an untimely death. And they can also provide a certain amount of tax relief where if you're in Trinidad and Tobago, for example, you can get up to $50,000 a year uh, if it's a registered pension plan. So it's really interesting because this was something that might have been seen before as something for, you know, a different era, but it's starting to become, you know, something that's increasingly more in demand and could be a way that your organization could stand out. So check out Guardian Life of the Caribbean if you're interested in getting a pension plan and exploring this solution for your organization. For more information, log on to myguardiangroup.com. I want to talk a little bit more about kind of the piece that you were talking about in terms of accountability and performance, right? Um, and how that can sometimes get mixed up or twisted with, you know, well, you can't, can you be nice and hold people accountable? Can you um, hold somebody accountable and, you know, and, and kind of create the right vibe and environment? So how would you approach as a leader kind of inculcating the other side, that, that culture of accountability? So I would say it's easiest for parents to understand because you love your kids and you want what's best for them, but sometimes you need to tell them what they did was wrong. So why can't you do that for your employees? You can love and support, but hold them accountable because what they do during the day is your responsibility. So it's that balance of love and support, which for some reason, um, people would do it in their personal life, but not at their work life. So it's really just translating, I want what's best for you, which is what's best for the company. And there has to be a balance. I have deliverables, you have deliverables. Is there a challenge, which is why you can't you know, get to this point um, and to talk it through, but to be stern when it needs to be, just like any good parent, you know, will be. And it, it, it's that balance. It's When I think about the type of leadership style that I have, I almost feel like I'm a grandmother. I will say exactly what I want to say, but you will know I love you. You know, that kind of... Of course, yeah. You know, it's a balance, yeah. you know, yeah. so... And, and, and I don't understand why people can't get that mindset you know, but it takes them some time. So I don't have to pretend as if what you're doing is okay if it's not, but I don't have to berate you to the point that you want to leave the job. There's a middle, like people, there's a middle. <laughs> there's got to be a middle in there somewhere. Now, you know, Jane, let's talk a little bit about, you know, your industry and your sector and how it's been changing. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious, not just about um, you know, kind of COVID and the pandemic, but in general, right? Because one thing that um, has been pretty consistent over the last, you know, five to, to 10 years has been, you know, more, more competition with global alternatives, um, you know, more competition with local alternatives. So, so what's, what's changing in your industry and in your environment that, that's kind of keeping you up at night or that you've been kind of working hard to contend with? So I would say for the scripture division, uh, things have changed considerably over the last couple of years. The industry is manufacturing, specifically it is printry, it's a printry with the capabilities to do folding box cartons like cereal boxes. However, its traditional mainstay is commercial print. So annual reports, 
you know, um, flyers, a lot of things that are going digitally now. So the industry has been changing for a while and our staff are not accustomed to selling the new product, which is physical folding cartons, soap boxes, as I said, cereal boxes, pasta boxes. They're just custom, accustomed to selling print. And even though we've had these new machines for several years, they're still in the, um, you know, mindset that this is our bread and butter, but that bread and butter is shrinking, you know, so it's really creating a different type of mindset and leveraging the diversification efforts that we have done, you know, so it's, it's really changing the mindset that this is where we need to focus on. We need to be doing proactive selling, not this reactive selling, you know, so um, I think that Pre-COVID, we had a challenge, I think. Post-COVID, we continue to have a challenge, but we have um, the diversification um, to focus on, you know, with the folding cartons, which is starting to go well, which is nice. So on the script J side of things, that's kind of what's happening. On the boss side, um, when it comes to the business, as I said, we had wanted to go online for, I think, about three years prior to actually going online. And we were in some financial difficulties trying to get the business right, our profit margins right, our productivity right. So we were in a space where we couldn't spend the money. So even though we wanted to be online and do the e-commerce space, we were a little bit late to the game. So we actually launched maybe a month before COVID, um, having all the backend facilities available and that kind of stuff. We had been doing it online before, but taking credit cards over the phone with people. So we were kind of doing the e-commerce thing. And obviously when COVID hit, that, that helped us a lot. So our uptake on the sites were really going from strength to strength. So that has helped that industry for us because a lot of people don't want to go physically to places. And now with home offices, we've seen a rise in some home furniture, um, smaller printers. So we've just had to navigate a little bit more and focus on our purchasing because if you're not uh, in tune with your purchasing you can run out of stock of your fast sellers now the thing about it is worldwide and we had conversations with several suppliers including hp were like we have a backlog of like th two months you know so it was challenging laptops printers ink cartridges we couldn't keep up with the demand which was frustrating um so it, it really is just as you know, this, the next couple of months transition, we're just going to try to stay close to what people are buying to make sure to see what ha what is in stock. Because of course, US is a nightmare to get in Trinidad. So you want to be careful with how you spend your money. And um, I don't try to let anything keep me up at night. You know, um, I try to have work-life balance and turn it off where I can because um, it, it doesn't make any sense to worry, you know? So... But if, if there were things that kind of frustrated me or made me worry, it's U.S., not having enough U.S. to purchase the things that I want to on the boss side and the script J side. And on the script J side, you know, just the declining of commercial print and what the next steps are and changing the mindset of the sales team. And that is kind of frustrating. But at the end of the day, I'm doing things to make those, um, those challenges more manageable. And I know myself and my team are doing our best. And you can't do better than your best. At the end of the day, that's it. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. And and 
as you look forward, you know, where where you hope to to take the organization in in three to five years? You know, what 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 what, what sort of that 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 vision in your mind in that sort of time horizon? Um, you know, I definitely see on the boss side more exports. You know, I um, visualized uh, almost like a just in time back end, making sure that people can link in to our inventory system so that they go and choose something and it gets processed, sends down to somebody actually packages in the order. I mean, maybe 10 years out, it'll be like a robot taking it and then moving on. Yeah, we're going to be a robot, but everything will just be automatic right now on the back end. When somebody sends in an order, somebody physically has to check the stock, make sure it's there, go back, do the paperwork, send it back. So there's a lot of manual processes to it. Um, and of course, with more automation, will reduce the cost and then therefore increase the profits. And then you're able to do more things. And because um, Boss and Strip J is all about doing biz helping businesses be better under that umbrella, I can do anything. And so I have thought about doing a training arm, a consultancy arm, because of course, under you know helping businesses be better. I mean, I mean, I could do anything. I could do a car wash. And and that's good actually. You know, as we kind of talked earlier on about purpose and mission, kind of helping businesses be better is a is a nice broad kind of mission that you can really kind of coalesce around and and you can interpret in multiple ways, which is which is a really important part of kind of evolving any organization because nothing nothing stays the same. Um, switching tax to to you know to challenge and bumps in the road and so you know we've talked about a couple but but tell me about for you like what would have been you know, give me an example of a you know of, of the type of challenge that you kind of had to persevere through um in your career and what what lessons you've taken from that that you would pass along to to someone who's you know a little bit further behind you on the journey you know get mad and then get over it my personality isn't one to hold on to things but when I feel like I have given my all and somebody like stabs me in the back or, you know, steals from the organization or does something wrong, so I, I get quick to take it personal sometimes. And it sometimes lets the, gets the better of you. And I recall a, an instant in, I think it was around 2018, I had done a deep dive audit into my warehouse department and realized that there was some pilferage happening and found evidence. I mean, I was on my hands and knees and in boots and jeans. And I was literally just going under certain places and collecting the things that either were on its way out to be stolen or things that are carelessly fallen under the shelves. You know, maybe hundreds of dollars in stock in a box. Not a lot, but every, every section I would collect what had been discarded by accident or on purpose. And I was really upset and I just kept on feeling, I am doing so much. I am loving and supportive and kind. And I just, every item I put in the box was getting me more and more mad. And you could literally hear me from a mile away. And I've gotten the feedback from different people from their versions of the story. You know, you're hearing, and you're just hearing it. And I'm hearing the supervisor going, you see where you have her? She's mad. It's because of us. And he is screaming at them now, the, the packaging shift. And little to my knowledge, there was somebody coming downstairs and saw what was happening. They ran back upstairs and said, Jane is losing her shit. Everybody upstairs was like freaking out. And I was literally like furious 
you know, I came to uh, with a big box and, and walked up to everybody and was like, I cannot believe this is what I'm seeing. Threw the box down, you know, stuff kind of falling out of it a little bit. And accounts clerk ran upstairs looking like she was about to cry. And then I stormed off. And the unfortunate thing is there was no exit that way. Right? So I'm storming off into a dead end. And I'm like, grab a hold of yourself. And I, I was just like, I'm taking it personal and I need to stop. I was like, get mad, and get over it. So I just took some deep breaths and I was just like, well, I, there's only one way out and back upstairs. So I had to pass through everyone and say, guys, I'm a passionate individual and I took it too far. I'm sorry. And I picked up my box and I stormed upstairs to see people scampering, like literally got upstairs. People would have seen the top of my head and just everybody talking in corners and, you know, some parts of me felt like it was necessary for that time for that to happen, but it could have been done differently. And I, I wanted so badly to hold on to it and to carry the anger from one day into the next. And, you know, um, I just reflected and was just like, you know what? I just got to get mad and get over it. And Jim, um, not Jim Collins, it's, a, it's that guy who did 13, uh, Colin Powell. 13 principles of leadership and his thing was get mad and get over it and I was just like I cannot take it personally and that is one thing that if I can tell people to let separate your ego from the situation you know and I think if we can master that you can overcome any of the hurdles yeah you know that that was um, an amazing story and I can I can totally picture you um, you know storming off in the direction where there wasn't an exit so, so that's 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 great you, you, you had me you had me rolling with that one um you know you know jane you you, you talked a couple of times about um you know work-life balance you know for your team and and even as a leader and that's always one of the things that i like to to touch on because just today i was talking with um one of one of my team members he was asking you know how do you kind of keep the pace that it that it that it often seems like you can and i was like well you know i try to do this, I try to get a little what I call oxygen from whether it's family or this or that. How do you, you know, as a leader, as a CEO, try to find, you know, bits of space for yourself to, to keep balance? How do you how do you get balanced and centered? So what I would say is that because I don't have kids, I feel like it's slightly easier for me as an individual. And I, I really look at some of these women and men who have you know families and I, I definitely know it it's such a big sacrifice um so already i'm starting in a good position you know all my time is my own to choose and at the end of the day everything is a choice and i think working in the bank helped me understand that work is never done so whether i work 24 hours three days without sleeping there will still be work to get done. So I did that for five plus years and then I didn't want to do it anymore. You know, so I will turn off, you know, when I come home, you know, and it's, I don't work, you know, I don't check my emails. Um, if I don't have to, I, I will receive calls if there's something that happens, but I can always work. There's always things to be done. But what would that really do? What would that really do? Get me, what, 
you know, get me what? <laughs> you know, um, get me $200,000 more in sales, get me a, a negotiation of a contract for a year, maybe, I don't know, you know, wh what am I really gaining from working myself? Like, you know, some people boast about, oh, I work 16 hours a day and I do this. And I'm like, they ask me, how many hours do I work? Um, at, at the beginning, when I first became a CEO, I was like, oh, they're like, Jane, oh my God, you know, congratulations on becoming a CEO. I could just imagine the amount of hours that you work. And so I work eight hours. Like I work eight hours. And some days I work 10. On a rare occasion, I'll work 11 or 12. But on a regular day, I'm working eight hours, you know, maybe eight and a half. And uh, I felt like I couldn't say that because people were just like, you know, in way lower positions than me were like, God, I'm, you know, got to sleep. 1 a.m. this morning and um you know how must it be jane and i'm like oh so tough you know so you know it's just that work-life balance is unattainable and then i'm like why am i saying that right because i want people to think that i work 16 hours a day and so i just stop saying it now and and the truth is i work if i absolutely have to but if i don't i'm not going to you know because it's important for me to to yeah. stay to stay balanced if i want to watch some silly netflix movie and power through it um or power through a series i mean i have an amazing capability they're like you just started i was like you can underestimate the amount of time i have you know so um i just i make the choice yeah and that that's for me because people say also i don't have any time for exercise but you have time to spend an hour on instagram you know, it's what you make time for. It's, you know, there's only so many hours in a day. Yes, I understand that. But you are choosing to do certain things. And when you really peel away, um, it's a choice that everybody's making. Even the ones who have kids, you know, they want to put their kids to sleep. Okay, that that's fine. That's your choice. You want to spend reading three stories or four stories. Can I get another story? Okay, fine. If you want to do 45 minutes of bedtime instead of doing, you know, half an hour on the treadmill, that is a choice. I'm not saying either one is good or bad. I probably choose a story one. I'm actually a good storyteller because of my father, but it's not that you don't have the time. It's about prioritizing your life. Right. And I just choose to prioritize a more balanced life with the undertone of the fact that I don't have kids mm -hmm. and I have a cat. I don't have a dog. Even a cat doesn't need to be walked. That's right. <laughs> like the cats are very low maintenance and I've created a life that is very low maintenance for myself. And that's also your choice. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 interesting that you kind of mentioned that, right? Because there is that sort of sense of um, you know wearing the 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 time and the effort and the hours as a as a badge of honor, um, and you know it doesn't necessarily need to be right. And 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 having control of your time um, is a choice, as you said. And and I think getting to that realization and then helping other people realize it is a really important step to get to it sounds like you kind of got there for sure yeah i just I, I know what i want for my life and i know what's important to me and i don't think people should be judged for that and um at the end of the day what's important to me may not be important to somebody else like even when i have to take time off work what do i take time off work sometimes i do my nails so i literally used to make a joke to some of my um team members when i was leaving i was like okay guys got a pta meeting and they'd be like Jane, you don't have kids. I was like, if everybody could take time off for that, I can take time off to do my nails. And that is what I'm doing. So whenever I say I have a PTA meeting, everybody knows that Jane's leaving the office to go get her nails done. So be it. That's what I want to do. 
That's my downtime. That's something that I value. Like, don't hate on my priorities. I love it. So as we kind of wrap, you know, you, you mentioned um, one of the things that you took away from, you know, Colin Powell earlier on. And I was just kind of curious as we wrap, you know, who inspires you? Um, you know, what are the things that you kind of uh, focus on or who do you look to to kind of learn and sharpen the saw and kind of keep on top of your game? So um, one of my favorite books is Good to Great. And the the Colin Powell, and I, it's just escaping me what the actual name of it is. So I actually reread or re-listen to books that I, I like and, and go to the parts that I really are passionate about and, you know, the whole um, get mad and get over it. I'll forward to that part um, that Colin Powell speaks about. So I, I know that I'm supposed to stay trendy and stay on top of things. And I do go through LinkedIn and definitely get a lot of little excerpts from people. But a lot of the research that has been written is really good already. You know, emotional intelligence um, by I think it's Daniel Goldman, you know, is, is a book that I refer back to, you know, that I go back and because there's certain things that um, you learn and then forget. And then I just go back to that. Um, Dale Carnegie, you know, how to stop worrying and start living. That was actually like a, a really good one for me because there's a line in it that basically says when you're stressing out about things, just ask yourself, are you going to jail? Are you going to jail or is somebody going to die? And if the answer to those are no, then you're okay. You know, and I really, and sometimes I hold on to that, you know? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so those are the things that I would go back to that inspire me. Great. And so maybe as we, um, you know, kind of give you one other, one other opportunity to share kind of a, a key thing, because you talked a little bit earlier on about you know, get mad and then get over it. Um, you know, are there other, other final thoughts that you would share to to young leaders out there um, who who want to, you know, run their company or trying to build their company or what have you? Any other lessons that you kind of want to share um, with them that, that, that they can take from your experience? Sure. Um, I would say that it's okay not to be okay sometimes. You know, because we live in a difficult world with lots of, of, of information and it, it can really get you down if you get absorbed into it. And as I said it somewhere along the way, like depression and anxiety is a real issue in today's world. And it almost seems like the more information we have, the more anxious people become about it and the more expectations that they put on themselves. So, you know, the whole, you can only be your best. I re it's really something that I've said to myself so often as a mantra, because I've gone through so many times where I've doubted myself, you know, a lot of females in particular have this imposter syndrome, like why are you here? Who's giving you this job? You know, do you know what you're doing? And it's just about looking at yourself and saying, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to figure things out. It's okay to ask for help if you need. And it's, it's okay to be curious. You know, so in the whole concept of it's not if it's okay not to be okay, you can do that, but then you can also ask for help. And and that's there's no harm in that and there's no shame in that. And a lot of people try to walk their journeys on their own and it's not sometimes it's not helpful, you know, because you can self-destruct. I love that. I love that. Well, good. Well, I mean, I got to say that, you know, there are some amazing um, pearls of wisdom today from you, Jane, and you know, really enjoyed, and I'm sure the listeners will enjoy kind of hearing you share your story and, and talk about some of those kind of key influences and those things that you, you know, use, you know, both 
uh, along the journey to where you are, as well as the things that are kind of part of what's going to take you forward. So I want to just thank you again for the time um, and for the awesome conversation. So so thanks again, Jane, for, for joining the Uptick Podcast. You're welcome. I, it was a pleasure to be here. And thanks for all your insightful questions. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was Jane White, CEO of Boss Trinidad, a leader who's not afraid to challenge the status quo and to push the envelope in terms of how you can take culture, people, and dynamism forward. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I encourage you to subscribe wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'd like to take a moment to thank Guardian Group for sponsoring today's episode. They've built their reputation around first-class insurance products, many of which are great for entrepreneurs and innovators who are out there. So it comes as no surprise that they have a cool product called Keyman Insurance in their product portfolio. You can check out this product and more at www.myguardiangroup.com. Make sure you know the next time an episode of Uptick drops by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. And remember, share Uptick with a friend. Now, on behalf of Caribbean Ideas, this is Chike Farrell signing off. And remember, keep on ticking up.